0: This is K.C. Bell, host of the Shake Up Learning Show and a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one.
1: coming up on episode 48 of podcast pd we discuss the 10 things that will have you swearing in the classroom on the socratic oath that is and of course we're going to share what we're listening to
0: this is podcast pd the show that provides you with anytime anywhere professional development
2: our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day.
1: Except you'll have more fun with Stacy Lindis, Chris Nessie, and me, A.J. Bianco.
0: Hey, welcome to episode 48 of Podcast PD. My name is Chris Nessie, and I am joined once again by my podcast compadres, Stacey Lindis and AJ Bianco. Stacy, how are you?
2: I am doing swell. It is St. Patrick's Day here in New Jersey on the eve of our recording. And yesterday I ran my first five K in about four years. So yeah. Doing all right. Get my mojo back.
0: Well, I'm glad you have your mojo back there, Stacy. That's fantastic. <laughs> Did you run with your lucky charms?
2: No, I ran solo. I actually ran with a good friend um, who no longer works in my district and we became each other's accountability partner to make ourselves better this year. So that was my that's my one word, and I'm sticking with it. And um we had a good time. And then today we had a Puerto Rican Irish dinner.
0: Now what do the Puerto Ricans and the Irish people eat at the same time?
2: <laughs> well, we have corned beef. And then I don't like cabbage or anything else that goes with the corned beef, just the corned beef. And so I make mashed potatoes, I dye them green, and I put corn on top. So when they were little, I told the boys that it was was bits of gold. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's ridiculous.
0: I feel like somewhere there's a comment of your meal as an adult chef was made by like a (laughs) (laughs) five-year-old.
2: Because that's how I cook. I have no cooking game. That's my meal. I, could get I am one
0: not one to sure. talk. We've all seen the video.
2: Yeah.
0: So, AJ, how was the Italian Irish St. Patrick's day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: no, Is we actually, meatballs? we actually just went up straight, straight up corned beef tonight and we had uh, some potatoes, carrots and all the good stuff. My wife actually rocked the meal tonight. So a special shout out to her and uh, her cooking abilities. It actually was planned nicely and, Went off without a hitch, and even the boys enjoyed some uh, corned beef sandwiches for dinner tonight. I was very impressed with them.
2: That's awesome. Your kids are little. Do they get into the whole leprechaun-y, um, leprechaun traps, and do you guys like put leprechaun prints and leprechaun hijinks all over the house?
1: Yeah, no, that's not my style. However, every <laughs> time they made a mess, and like, oh, the leprechaun did it. I was like, well, that leprechaun's about to go through a window, clean it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, St. Patrick's that. Day here. Uh Miles, I guess this week in school they read some kids' book called Silly McGilly, which is about some leprechaun or something. So his big homework assignment for the week was design to design one of these leprechaun trap things. So he and I went on Pinterest last weekend and he picked the one that was the most Pinteresty of all the options out there. <laughs> so we worked on that throughout the week and he brought it to school on Friday, and he'll find out tomorrow if he caught a leprechaun on his desk. Oh, that's the, cute. He had the biggest and most colorful trap.
2: Well,
1: I hope I it works. My St.
0: Patrick's Day dinner. Uh, we had pizza because I'm a child who likes to have corned beef, not just on St. Patrick's Day. So I've already had corned beef probably twice this month. And it's a once a month meal in my house already. Twice? So wow. We had pizza for dinner tonight.
3: You can never
0: go wrong. Beef. wrong no, you can go, go wrong with pizza.
2: No, you can't go wrong with pizza. All right, so we are not the only people here tonight. Tonight, we are joined by Matt Daly. Matt, welcome to Podcast PD. Do you have any uh, spectacular St. Patrick's Day traditions that you have in your household?
3: We had a we had a weird uh, weird weekend. Um, all the uh, all the moms took a, uh, a trip down the shore, so it was all the dads in, in control for the weekend. So there was not a lot of structure going on in general, but uh, all the kids got fed. And uh, leprechaun traps were made and uh, all that, all that fun stuff. So we're just coming out the other end of it right now before we go back to normal tomorrow.
0: Uh, That explains why you're tied up right now talking to us. The kids got to you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So we do not have you on tonight or today or tomorrow, whenever you're listening, to talk about leprechaun traps or St. Patrick's Day. I have wanted to have you on the show since I met you at Ed Camp, New Jersey back in November. And um, it's been a while, but I, Chris, AJ, and I were talking about how the timing of this couldn't be more perfect. I think that teachers um, probably around the country and throughout the world are kind of feeling the stress or the doldrums of this long break, this long stretch before we hit break, especially here in New Jersey. We don't hit break until almost the end of April. And um, it's a good time to talk about what you're going to talk about tonight, which is the Socratic Oath. So we're going to get into it. Can you tell us a little bit? Like I said, I met you at EdCamp, New Jersey. I know AJ has met with you and had an opportunity to speak with you. And um, he and I were super duper excited. And Chris was like, yes, I'm game for learning anything. And um, when you shared the Socratic Oath at EdCamp, New Jersey, I was with one of my teaching colleagues and another, um, another instructional coach who I often pal around with at conferences. And we just kept nodding in agreement. And saying yes, this and this, and we were trying to see. My colleague and I um, were trying to see how it lines up with our district strategic goals. And um, my other, my other PLN friend was talking about how he sees it just fitting into daily instruction and and all of that. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Socratic Oath and how you and John, who's not with us tonight, how you two came up with it and what got you started with it?
3: Yeah. Um, John and I have been working together um, formally and informally for about the past uh, eight or nine years in our district. Um, I was always the middle school. He was always the high school. Um, and then there was some change that occurred in our, our district where, where the leadership structure um, changed pretty dramatically. And, and the shift was such that I started looking at some other you know, options for me, whether it was going to pursue some supervision stuff or to get into the, uh, the nonprofit, uh, sector. And over the course of the summer, I started working at a, uh, a nonprofit in the city called the future project. And what they do is they, they bring young people, these people called dream directors and the dream director kind of works like a guidance counselor slash project manager. And they help these kids use principles of design thinking to achieve these, you know, amazing projects, and the idea there is that then those those experiences translate into improved, you know, abilities in their in their regular schooling. And while I was working there, um, it was obviously incredibly inspiring, but it was also interesting because everyone there had like this kind of side hustle, other thing that they were also working on. And I finished up my uh, consultancy there over the summer, and I got back you know, into this new school environment in the fall. And I was just, I had seen all of these people realizing their power and creating all of these amazing things. And I realized that I had been just kind of waiting for a, like permission to, to do some leadership-based stuff. And and I just remember being in bed one night and saying like, we can run free PD. I can just start my own thing. I don't need to be affiliated with anyone And at the same time, I started thinking about what's something that we could make and for our first kind of, our first product. This idea of a Socratic oath just kind of popped into my head. Um, But I knew that if I just sat down and, and powered through it myself, that it wouldn't be powerful. So over the course of about a year, we set up a series of workshops all over Morris County, essentially. And we were calling for educators of all you know, age levels, all backgrounds to come and go through the design process with us to try to boil down the essence of, of what we believe our, our professional obligations are. And we started with, you know, a bunch of research looking at existing Socratic oaths that people have, have attempted in the past. Um, we looked at the Hippocratic oath itself, and a bunch of different things on the role that people feeling like they aren't being treated professionally is having on teachers um, at both the state and, and and national and global, really. And as we started boiling these things down and then bringing them to focus groups and having people roll over them and roll over them and started going to ed camps and showing it off and trying to get people to get feedback there, we eventually arrived with with what we have. My initial thought uh, was that I remembered as a child going to like the optometrist or going to the the, the pediatrician and there was always this kind of, you know, Old English, old English, like text, um, colorful, you know, plaque in all of their offices that I didn't read it. I didn't know what it said, but I knew that it connected all of those doctors together in some way, and that there was some fundamental underlying creed or belief system that they all shared. Even that small thing was was something that allowed me to to recognize that this was a profession. These people had gone through some sort of experience that tied them together. Um, and that's what we had set out to do. And, um, and I'm sure we're going to go through some of the different uh, things, but that was the, the, the most important thing was that we wanted to get as many teachers as possible to look at it and give us feedback um, and help design it, really. Um, I think at this point, we have a, over 70 different people um, have contributed to the oath in some way um and then we also wanted to make sure that it was available free to anyone who wanted it and that we would you know post it up there and it serves as you know both a an aspirational document for things that you should be trying to do but also an accountability measure for yourself you have parents that come into that classroom and they're going to see the culture that you're creating there they're going to see what your beliefs are you're going to have students that are going to be able to read this and say, you know what, this, you know, Mr. Daly says that he believes this, this might be a dialogue, you know, for something that I need. Um, and then the teacher itself to, to be constantly reminded of, of what they, you know, hopefully signed up for. And so far the, the feedback's been uh, been positive. We actually, there's a, there's an 11th thing that I think we're going to end up throwing on there. that We're going to be testing out in the, uh, in the next coming months from some feedback that we got from uh, the NCTE um, online portal. So it's just a constantly fluid thing. If you go on our website, there's ways to contact us for stuff that you want to add in. And we just tried to make it as interactive as possible. So
2: I know when we met, um, back in November, you said that, that it was a pretty fluid document that it was constantly being reworked. And with feedback, you were making adjustments who helped you create each of the 10, would you call them
3: elements or we call, we call them the promises? promises. Um, And so we started off and, you know, because, you know, John and I, you know, there's, this is the confluence of a lot of different things that we're, we're working on right now. We believe that like design thinking is the probably most powerful way to leverage great ideas from, you know, collaboration. We started off really, really slow Um, the first thing was to get a group of people, you know, to, to look at, you know, a variety of different articles and just to generate discussion around that. We started looking at who are the intended audiences of the different, um, promises. Like some of them are student centered. Some of them are parent centered. Some of them are self in terms of like teacher centered, um, and as we were able to identify the themes that were coming up, we were able to start slowly saying, hey, what's essential and what's not? And that became easier the more people were looking at it, you know, and then it became just a lot of wordsmithing, you know, how do we get the intended, um, you know, what we're trying to say, how do we get that on there and, and have it still make sense to people um, and, and not be this cryptic, you know, you speak um, doc, and there are some, I mean, it's, it's definitely written for teachers. Um, it's definitely designed to look that it's highly academic and thought out and not, you know, um, simplistic in any way. And we, we were constantly asking ourselves was, you know, is this aspirational? Is this, you know, an ideal to work towards and to not shy away from some of these things, which are really, really hard to, to do and to, and to keep in mind, you know, at every moment of, of your time in front of students. Yeah, Matt. Looking looking through the oath, and uh, we're going to share a couple of them with
1: with everybody out there. What I really like most about it, when you read it over, there's no buzzwords throughout the entire oath. Everything is like like you said, is strategic. It makes sense. It's very educational. You know, and, and we look at education today, and we continuously hear all these different buzzwords and and things that stand out. I love that there's no mention of those specific techniques or methodologies that everybody kind of like falls toward. There's no mention of, I will have to use technology. No, I really like how you guys put this together. And when you showed it to us you know, in November, and when I met with you in December,
3: I was, I'm still impressed by what you guys created. And, and this is where, this is something that me and John talk about a lot, is there's a tendency to attempt to simplify things and And you see this in the in the standardization attempts that have been that, that have been levied against teachers, um, how easy it is for a small group of individuals to make changes in a district around buzzwords that they might not have the strongest understanding of because they can um, and all that ends up doing is is taking people's um diversity of thought and, and, and pathways to where they, they got in their individual subject areas, um, it, it just makes it that it simplifies it in a way that isn't helpful. Um, so one of the things that we were really, you know, adamant about when we were making this is that it has to be open-ended, um, but not in a way where everything's up for grabs. It has to be open-ended in a way where it allows people to be the professionals that we should be trusting them to be, um, you know, part of <clears throat> part of the, the the genesis of this was, you know, I'll be quite honest. Like I was very unhappy with feeling voiceless. It wasn't something I was dealing with well. Um, I was in a position in my district where I was an instructional leader, and I was able to work with people, and it was the most gratifying work that I had ever done. Um, and then, you know, I was put back into a situation where I was. I was back in the classroom, I was isolated. And I, I, that amazing feeling of being able to work with people and and develop relationships and create culture. I went from that to feeling completely voiceless. And the first step that we actually did, it wasn't even a wee step. It was, you know, I got back to school in the fall. I had just had this experience in the city. I was starting over. Now I was up at the high school and I had to do all this this new stuff, and I was just trying to figure out where I was. And I ended up um, going on these like long walks every morning, where I would just let my brain go and go and go. And I get back to my house, and I and I type and type and type. And over the course of thirty days, I had made this like manifesto um, where I just kind of got all that other stuff out. And I think one of the things that I was upset about was. Sometimes we traffic in these buzzwords, we traffic in these platitudes about, about teaching. And as much as I'm for, you know, staying positive and being, you know, someone who is aspirational for my students and things like that, the problem with that is that it can sometimes undercut people's assumptions of how difficult and, and academic and rigorous our jobs are. And you know, yes, you've got to be on, on, on the front side. You've, you've got it. These kids have to know that they're loved and that, and that you're there for them and that you want the best for them. But on the other hand, you also have, they, you know, sometimes don't see it. Like I didn't, I didn't roll out of bed and just kind of show up today and, and I'm just getting my summers off. Like I'm working hard for this. I'm reading constantly. I'm always developing, you know, ways to be better. And that's the stuff that sometimes gets lost to everyone else. And when, when we traffic in these 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 simplistic terms, it can have this effect of making it harder for people to see the depths of professionalism that are required to be good at this job.
2: And when you say simplistic terms, you're talking about those buzzy words like
3: A, a good example of, of how simplifying a like an actual term that that is meaningful would, would be something like the way what we've done to growth mindset. Um, one of the things that I benefited from at the future project is that Carol Dweck is one of their, she's on their board of directors and I was talking to some of the people about the book. And if you've read the original text, it's, it's not written for, you know, education, really. It's very much a a, a explanation of a study and, and what, and what she found. And quickly we turned it into this thing where it was like, you know, Oh, you just got to try harder. And the damage that was caused by people looking at that and trying to simplify it into something that would fit on a poster versus you might need to radically rethink the grading policies in your building or what you're incentivizing in terms of, um, the way you test that's, it, it never made it to that step it, because it never made it past the, you know, I'm going to take the bare bones of this and just, I'm going to add another thing onto everything else that we're already doing. And it loses its efficacy. It loses its, its ability to be effective. And, and Dweck herself has stated that if she had known the direction it was going to go, that she would have been much more vehement about making sure that people understood ex, you know, expressly what she was trying to say and what the data tells us about, you know what grit means and all the terrible things that <laughs> have happened in the name of that, because we didn't take the time to do a deep dive in it and consider the long-term ramifications of not looking at it deeply. Um, but then you also get into the other, you know, the simplistic stuff around like, you know, if you're, you know, content and you know, what our real goals are here, as opposed to, you know, I think some of the things that the, the promises get into are more about like the development of the individual student and what that looks like in terms of soft skills. There's nothing on here about the constitution or, you know, uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Um, it's not about content.
2: Yeah, and I think to AJ's point, one of the things is you know not to. This might come across the wrong way, but it, it seems like this could be written in a different century. the The principles are so enduring, in that like this is just what good teaching is, and you know it's it's not that it's teaching from the nineteenth or twentieth century. It's just that it's it's just. The good, and I think um, we'll illustrate that. Um, AJ, Chris, and I have picked out a few that really resonate with us. Um, I know when we met um, back in November, we, one of the things we talked about in our room um, and in our discussion was that by having numbers, it could mean that there was some type of hierarchy, and I know that that was. Not your intention, but for just simplifying all of this, we're going to stick with the numbers that are assigned to each one, um, and and we'll we'll move on from there. Is that all right?
3: Yeah. Are we going like like it's a book, like top across, like top left? No,
2: we're not. We're actually so Chris, AJ, and I have picked maybe. And do you have your favorite? Do you have a favorite or one Um, that speaks to you the most? I mean, you wrote all ten of them. I can't imagine it's
3: well. It's like picking
2: a favorite kid. We
3: we we worked on all ten of them, but. I mean, this was quite literally, we made sure that this was, you know, if you go on the webpage, it says all the collaborators, all the designers, the people who we credit with coming up with this. Um, The one that I like the most is the one that I struggled the most with, um, which is um, in the bottom left, um, which is about endeavoring to retain my influence within my school district and department, adding my voice to the design and implementation of instruction and curriculum um, you know, as a result of my experience, I kind of shut myself off in my building and I'm only recently, um, starting to really go against my, um, selfishness and try to be more collaborative, um, with, with my specific situation. Um, so that's, that's the one I find myself thinking about the most cause it's on my door when I walk into my classroom every day and, I'm not doing the greatest job with that and I need to be doing a better job with that.
2: Yeah. That one spoke to me. Um, The other one that really spoke to me was I will be open to the collaborative exchange of ideas with my colleagues regarding what we do in our classrooms, providing strong and useful feedback for mutual gain. And I think one of the reasons that that one hit me is as a coach, it's kind of what I do, you know, and, even when I was in the classroom, I looked to the coaches in my district and I sought them out all the time. If I saw a coach in my building, the first thing I did was was say hi. The second thing I did said, what are you doing here and who are you working with and what are you working on? Because chances were I could learn something from that, or even if they were working with a different grade level, I could turn that into something that would be fruitful for my own kids. So that to me has always been um, something that I looked for in my mentors and something that I hope that I offer in my role currently as an instructional technology coach.
3: There's a, um, there's a book that came out, I want to say five or six years ago called uh, instructional rounds. And um, it was essentially modeling the, the, the way that that, the doctors routinely check in with one another. And one of the things me and John go back to a lot is like looking at the way doctors are treated um, versus the way, um, educators are perceived. And, you know, we've been talking to a lot of nurses and doctors about like the structure of a hospital. And one of the things that's always been striking to me is, is when you start putting things in and in New Jersey specifically things like the, um, the SGOs and the other like assessments, um, that they're asking us to do. One of the things that can happen is you can get into this competitive situation with the people in your building. And, you know, if, what we're saying is that that the students are the should be the driver of everything. Like like they're our audience, they're our user, they're the ones that we need to be aware of. By closing our door and not sharing our practices with others, or not creating an environment where we're all checking each other's rooms out, we end up, you know, holding on to things and we, we don't want to share stuff. And that's totally the wrong way for for a building to be running. So certainly, in, endeavoring to make a culture that allows teachers to see each other teachers as a normal practice it's vitally vitally important to the you know I think the health of the building and and, and the strength of its teachers.
0: The one that resonated for me was as it's listed here, uh, number six, which reads, I will ensure that my students are engaged in worthy pursuits that foster curiosity and take into account their own interests, experiences, and challenges and this one really jumped out for me because not not because I think I'm weak at it, but because it's something that I'm very passionate about, especially as a social studies teacher where, you know, history hasn't changed in 2000 years. You know, world history is what world history is. You can bring in some modern events and whatnot, but to continue to try and find new ways to make the curriculum meaningful for the students, to have it resonate with my students based on their background, their family life, their path in life, and and their own experiences, and to try and make that all come together in in harmony, so to speak. Um, So it's something that I'm trying hard to do each and every day.
3: Yeah, I think of all of the ones that are on there, that's the one that comes closest to kind of putting a foot down around – what a, what a responsible curriculum looks like and what, a resp- what responsible pedagogy looks like. Um, most of the reading that I've done, most of the things I've been looking at in the past five years have all been centered around this idea of how are we making these things relevant? How are we making these things worthy um, of the time that we're taking from these kids? And you know, I think a lot of the old ways of rationalizing some of the things that, that we do and, and that are easy to do um, are, are slowly being exposed for what they are, which is, you know, just a way to sort students or to justify a grade. Um, and I think as we move forward, we need to be looking much more at providing these things with kids, providing these kids with things that they're going to leave with that will, you know, shape the the types of people they're going to be, but also that give them a little bit of, you know, autonomy themselves and how they get to spend their day how they work through things. Um, I just finished reading um, What Schools Could Be um, by Ted DinterSmith. I had the opportunity to work on um, some of their learning sparks on their website for their documentary Most Likely to Succeed. So I've seen that movie like eight times. And we just keep going back to this idea of when we unleash the individual power of these kids and we provide uh, the time for them to do things that they deem to be worthy, you know, we, we only win. Um, at least in my experience. So for me, there were two things that that stuck
1: out. Um, I'm going to go for both because it's our podcast and I can do whatever I want to. So the first, the first one, (laughs) like as an educator, as a teacher in the classroom, the first one was the one that stood out the most. It was, I will design lessons and assessments that allow for personalization of learning for my individual students. And I'm big into that right now with the idea of uh, personalized learning for my students and, Creating a path for them to find history exciting and relevant, and, and all those words. So that one was my number one. But I think looking at it again, number seven. Well, we're gonna call it number seven here. Uh, this is a big one for me as I look at this one, and it says, uh, "I will remain an active learner, seeking out more effective strategies and implementing them in my classroom. Observing colleagues and encouraging observation in my classroom as well, in order to collaborate and progress as." Teachers. That one, I, I swear right now, like just hit me perfectly because it's exactly what we talked about in our last episode with, you know, pineapple charts and observations and welcoming teachers into the classroom. Uh, but also with the fact that a lot of us have met through social media, the idea that we are seeking out new strategies to make us better every day.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's funny. One of the, uh, the back and forths that was going on um, pretty, pretty close to even the, the publication of this was the difference between, um, what you guys are calling number seven and the last one, right? Cause they both seem to be about like the, the, the observing others. Um, what I think is, is especially important about, um, the, the first one is cause it's more, we, we the way we were talking about it was, that it's more about learning. Um, whereas the, the 10th one is more about like, not hoarding your own stuff that you've learned. Um, but I think there's, there's, and this goes back to kind of the mission of, of, of our, our, I don't want to call it a company, our, our group, um, as well as that um, there's so many of us and we have this, this it, it's, it can be very tempting to feel like we're alone in what we're doing Um, but in any given building we outnumber, you know, other than the students, we outnumber everybody. And if you were to like, take a look at it nationally, we outnumber, you know, we, we outnumber every administrator by, you know, by, by a pretty substantial margin. I think what you've seen with some of these marches and the, and the efficiency with which they've made change in their districts shows that like we can we can leverage things and we have more of a voice than than we necessarily sometimes believe because our our struggles seem to be so personal in terms of like i'm having trouble with my class and my kids and and that can sometimes you know cloud us to the kind of support that is actually around us in a building and the kind of power that we have if we are talking to one another, if we're going to each other's classrooms, if we're taking initiative to go on Twitter and join as many different things as we can to get to meetings outside of, of the classrooms, like these are all really, really important things. And they're coincidentally the, the exact same things that we would say that we would want for our students when they become adults. We wouldn't want them, you know, we always talk about the lifelong learner. How dare you not be a lifelong learner yourself? Um, and there really isn't, you know, an excuse anymore. You don't have to go back to school. There's books everywhere. There's, you know, the amount of information on the internet around teaching and learning is ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere. It's
2: podcasts.
3: Yeah, podcasts. It's all, it's all there in the, in, the, in the digital world. That um, it's just there. When I was uh, in high school, like in the late 90s, knowing which teacher was going to be able to give what, because I was either going to get a photocopy... If they were under a certain age or I was going to get that uh, the purple ink um, like roller thing that would come out and you always knew you're like, all right, that, that she wrote that test 15, 20 years ago and she's still giving it. Um, There's a better way to do things. Not to say that we have to remake the wheel all the time, but there should certainly be a feedback loop that you are accessing that is constantly changing. Um, the way that you're looking at things. That's why PLCs are so important. That's why PLNs are so important. It's not just like, hey, look what I did. It's, hey, look what I did. What do you think? What can we do differently? What can we change? And again, getting back to that concept of of design, we've got to start looking at how we can leverage all of our collective intelligence to create better experiences for the kids that we serve. Boom.
2: Good stuff. And I think that that you're right. We no longer live in a vacuum and our silos are only silos if we let them be and shame on us if we allow that to happen and shame on our administrators if they don't push us to reach out at least to the person next to us or the person in our department or you know the person down the hallway or in our
3: building or in our district well i mean it goes to show you i mean like you look at you look at the the way pd is has been typically designed i mean it's why you know john and i were so impressed with with the uh with the ed camp that we attended, because it's it's exactly what it should be. It's run by people who are simply interested in getting something out there or have a, having a question answered, and you're not forced to do this thing that you might not need. When we look at the traps that teachers get into, especially ones that that don't want to change or, or feel that any sort of change is an attack if if you feel like you're by yourself. And that all of the things in your in your job are coming from one or two people, and you don't recognize that you know there's a really strong community around you that you can tap into. Yeah, it can. It, you you might your practice might suffer for it, and you might not know your practice is suffering for it. It's why certainly you know an, an administration needs to make sure that they're giving people time to talk to one another, that they're giving people time to show things to one another, that they're not leveraging them against one another. All of those things are super, super important for us to not only be better at what we're doing, but to feel more happy in our jobs and more happy in our lives. And so often it's like, look, you know, this—you just got to get this terrible thing done. It's like, yeah, but like, if I'm miserable here, who does this benefit? It doesn't benefit anyone. In fact, quite the opposite. So certainly having people know that they're not alone, being able to share things and creating that environment is essential.
0: I think some of this goes back to even, you know, when we had Stacy and AJ, when we had Rich Chiz on the show and, and Matt, you talk about maybe some of this has to come by being pushed by administration. I'm, I'm going to push back a little and say, I, I think a lot of it's got to be almost instinctual and come from within the teacher. You know, that that's how we get to these 10 items here. It was something within you that drove you to push and, you know, going back to your story, you know, to clear your mind and put all these thoughts out there. You know that that came from inside of you. No, nobody pushed you to do this. I mean, the environment and and the culture around you drove you to this. Um, so I, I would just say that I think it's got to come from within. And, and even maybe you could speak to how if if a school district, an administrator saw you do this, and all of a sudden they bring it back to their school and say we've got to do the oath and we've got to go through this process, what do you have in place, or what advice do you have for people to not just hear us talk about it? And go run, and not have it sound like just another thing, and have this that we talk about not having buzzwords become a buzzword in and of itself.
3: Yeah, every every um, administrator that we've spoken to who has said like I'm going to bring this back to my school, um, we we have been very very cautious about that. Um, our preferred implementation, and we wouldn't even say the word implementation. Our our preferred um, exposure to this from an administrative perspective would be to use it as a way to start a dialogue. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? The absolute wrong thing would be to like have the, have the teachers show up on, you know, the first day of school in September and this thing's all over Raise your Right. Hand, repeat
0: after. <laughs> <laughs> right. right.
3: <laughs> and that, that would be disastrous. We had uh, a woman reach out to me on Twitter the other day saying like, Oh, we're designing a school in Philadelphia. And can we, can we use this? And I was like, yeah, it's free anyone can use it. You don't need permission. Um, but like, how are you going to use it? Don't just, you know, put it in their, in their folder and say, memorize these. We're going to test on it. Yeah.
2: Don't Daniel's in it. Oh, that woman's probably dying a little slow death right now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, and, and again, I think that's easy. That's the easy way to do things. There's a, there's a great, um, like political, I wouldn't even call it a political cartoon. It was drawn in the style of a political cartoon that I keep seeing come up. Um, and it's this line of people and they're approaching this like fork in the road. And there's a big sign and it points to the left and it says, um, simple but wrong. And then it points to the right and it says um, complex but right. And it's just a vast amount of people just taking the left because it's easier. And so many of the decisions that we've made, um, and John and I just talk about this all the time, is, is the decision being made because it's easy and it's simple, even if it might be wrong? Or are we taking the time? And this is hard because it's the one thing that we're all lacking. Um, and we don't, you know, for the most part, we don't go through these with, with these same kids where we can correct the mistakes that we make when we're trying to get better. Um, but this idea that like, If we're making a decision that's going to affect students, if we're making a decision that's going to affect teachers, are we making it because it sounds good or looks good or because it's going to allow us to have a really hard conversation? We recently started um, really delving into the the culturally responsive teaching practices um, in our district. My district is incredibly diverse. It's one of its biggest strengths. Um, And the first round was all about like kind of prepping people for what was going on and they were like. A lot of people nodding. There was only a little kickback from you know the usual suspects, um, but I know that when it switches over to okay, these are the things we believe and these are the things that we can all get behind, and then we go into it. this is how it's going to change the way you teach in your room. This is the effect that's going to have on curricular practices and, and teaching strategies. That's when, if we haven't really done the the hard work and the, had the deep conversations, that's where you're going to get the the kind of teeth grinding kickback that. Maybe could be avoided if we really took the time to go into what what the implications of, of looking at something like this is. And this is not. I mean, it's 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 we fit it on a page, but there's a lot of different stuff that you could go through and take your time with and say, like, hey, how do we feel about this? How is this reflected in our schools? Are we doing this? Um, you need time to do that. Well, that's why you know we didn't. I, I could have gotten up the next morning after I had the idea and and scrawled out my my manifesto and said. Here it is, but you know we really wanted to take our time with it and talk to as many people as possible so we could get that that wide range of perspectives.
2: yeah, I like that. I think that was one of the more powerful things when we were in um, in your session at Ed camp was that you know everyone was able to look at it with a different lens so right now my district is going through um, some restructuring through strategic goals, and we have three strategic goals and like I said, my colleague and I looked at it and part of our annotation was um, was just, oh, this is SG-1, you know, this is strategical 2. And it was it was not necessarily because we needed to simplify it, but we needed to fit it into a lens that we're currently working with. Or we didn't need to, but we were applying a lens that we were, you know, that was ever present because we were constantly going through... PD in this in this one structure in this one area in my district and it's you know one of the things that we suffer from is um, that constant like Thanksgiving plate that never gets emptied like we're just piling on more and more and more the proverbial Thanksgiving plate and you know the old food is getting extremely moldy and you know, rather than make, we wanted to take this back and we wanted to start dialogue. And actually, as we're talking, I'm thinking about how I'm going to do this in, in my school, but um, we didn't want it to be more. We want it to be relevant and fit in with what we're already doing. And as AJ said, you know, it's not jargony. It's, it's good pedagogy. It's good, thoughtful education. So yeah, discussion is, is a good way to yeah. It's, it's just a good way to like really bring it back and package it.
3: Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, we I talked before about how there's accountability aspects to it. And um, it also, if you're posting it and and the kids are seeing it in your room and parent teacher conferences are in my, are in my room, like people, my parents when they're waiting outside, they see it before they come in. You know, it, it also can end up becoming a, an upwards accountability measure for administration as well. It's like, Hey, you know, how come I'm only seeing this here? How come, you know, what I'm hearing about this class over here, it's, it's not happening. What's, what's going on? Um, you know, we're having an issue right now where we're we're trying to talk about restorative practice in our district. And we've just instituted a zero, um, zero tolerance cell phone policy. And they're sure. always presenting the two of them right next to each other. And I'm always just sitting there going like this, you know, that those two things are not compatible. Right. But there's yeah. no, there's no access to students or parents in that conversation because it's a department meeting. No one knows that that's kind of happening or or has to reconcile with seeing that. Um, so having this up in your room also is like, you know, maybe maybe they're talking to other teachers about it. But we we definitely prefer a a teacher driven approach to, you know, this is a a grassroots. It's free. Put it up in your room. Post a picture of it. Let's try to get this thing out there. We don't benefit from it. At all it's just maybe this will help, and that's kind of the the, the driving force behind it
2: I mean it really is a um, a very thoughtful and meaningful document, and you know it's it's pretty provocative too you know We joked in the opener that um, teachers would be swearing, and I did exactly what um what some teachers or administrators would do. And I came back with it and I was super jazzed. I had lots of copies because you guys left me with lots of copies. And I shared it first with um, the other, you know, coaches in my building. And I said, What do you think of this? And they're like, This is amazing. And then the three of us hung them up in our shared space. And when people would walk in, they'd be like, what are you guys swearing? Like, what is going on in this room? And so then and and because it's like that's, that's what you see. It's big, it's bold, it's right in the center and there'll be links um, in the show notes to, to your site where people can look at the oath and can, you know, make the swear um, and make these promises for themselves and for their students. But um, it really was just like a conversation starter and, you know, beyond looking at the, I swear, it's the promises that really make it all
3: meaningful. Yeah. Our, um, our, our web guy um, who's also, you know, one of our partners, um, his name is Craig Kennedy. Um, and he's been focusing on like the brand stuff and, and he did all the layout for the doc. Um, and it's, I, lo- I love the way it looks. There's all these little subtle things on it. And what's cool too is, um, we've just released a uh, red for red edition <clears throat> that you can print, um, that has um, a different color scheme on there. Um, and because they're all, um, they're all PDFs. You can, um, when you order it, you can modify the size when you go to get it printed. So like the one on my door is like two feet by three feet, but we've got smaller ones all over the place, but it's, it's also, you know, you can, you can manipulate the size and color, um, as you wish as well. So it's, it's really happy with the work that Craig did on the, on the physical design of it as well.
2: Nice. I'll take a look at that too. Has it changed much since November?
3: Um very small one or two words. Um the thing we're cooking up right now is we're probably gonna have to put another um another one on there. And it was a great piece of feedback that we received, which is, you know, if we're asking people to do all this, if we're asking them to look at the totality of their job and and how important it is and and all the different aspects of it that they have to be weighing, we've also got to have something in here about making sure that you're taking care of yourself. And having something in here about self-care <clears throat> is the next kind of um, thing we'll be tr- trying to crowdsource. Um, I'm hoping this time that we're going to use Twitter um, to amplify the voice even more, um, but to try to get something in there about how important it is that we're taking care of ourselves so we can also take care of our students and our, and, and our other obligations, um, especially when it's as aspirational as it is.
2: It's a good addition.
3: Yeah, it was great, great feedback and something that I wouldn't have thought of, you know, and that's, that's the power of, of of trying to leverage as many people around us as we can.
2: All right. Well, this is a question that I should have asked you um, via Twitter. Um, do you listen to podcasts?
3: I have a eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old.
2: So you listen to the Disney Channel
3: in the car. <laughs> yeah, it's that, The Greatest Showman um, and this, I'm going to say something terrible right now. The very, the few moments that I'm allowed to listen to music by myself, I'm usually in the car. Um, and I both drive a, a 2002, uh, Chevy Avalanche that only has an aux quick cable in it, which no longer works on my iPhone. Um, so I listen to Mastodon and Coheed and Cambria CDs cause I can't listen to them around the kids. Um, so that's the only time I get to listen to anything on my own. And then I never have headphones on because they're always trying to, you know, drown themselves in the tub or fall downstairs or play with the knives. Um, (laughs) so I'm in a weird parenting bubble right now where like, it's weird that I have headphones in right now. I feel like it's like freaking me out a little bit. So rare for me to wear headphones.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, no pressure. (laughs)
3: <laughs> um I, I, I usually do a radio lab. Um if I'm with what my wife and Detroit? traveling somewhere. Um and she's what? big on the uh, the, the criminal so, like uh serial and so stuff you like that. Don't listen to podcasts. Um, but yeah, I'm like I walk a lot. I never wear headphones when I walk. Um it's quiet contemplation. Oh, um, well, that's yes. how
2: you develop Ten Promises.
3: <laughs> yes, and and a very angry book called An End to the Quiet War, which is also available on our
2: site. Nice. <laughs> Well, I think we can let him go if you want.
3: Yes, I would I would, I would certainly love <laughs> to right, listen well, Matt, and, and uh this is the part of the down, show where we're gonna I'll talk about
0: to the podcast we've listened to and things that we've learned from. So I was gonna say we make him take notes and then eventually his people go up and he'll have a whole bunch of stuff to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk about what we've been listening to,
2: AJ's so we're going to right. put him to the so back of the So I have been listening to, uh, so I'm Stacey, trying to catch up, and one of our first? listeners pointed out ready. that I have not Ladies shared first. the number in a really long time. So right now, I have 1,977 downloaded podcasts on my phone. It's a bit extreme, but I'm working on it. It was higher today, so I listened to quite a few Um, but today I got back into 10% happier with Dan Harris and, um, kind of goes along with what you were saying, Matt, about taking care of yourself. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Dan Harris wrote a book called 10% happier and it's all about meditation and being a fidgety skeptic and, um, a little bit of background on him. He had a nervous breakdown on live television. He's an ABC anchor and, um, it's all about his journey to find himself and quiet the monkey brain that he had, monkey mind going on that he had um, back in that, that time period and just led him down this path to mindfulness, meditation. Um, the episode that I'm, that I'm just wrapping up or just wrapped up earlier today was episode 15 which was um, with Gretchen Rubin and it's entitled um, Gretchen Rubin, our long lost pilot episode. So you can hear that the um, audio quality is a little bit weak, but um, he has since had Gretchen back on. Um, She is the author of the happiness project, happier at home, the four tendencies, outer order, inner calm. And um, the last two, Two recommendations that I have. I have not listened to, but I adore Gretchen Rubin. I like her writing. Um, and she has her own podcast that I have started listening to, um, years ago. And I kind of put on, put the brakes on because there's some note taking that needs to go on. But, um, in episode 99, she is back to talk about the four tendencies. And 178, Gretchen's back again to talk about Outer Order Inner Calm. And that one just released, um, this week. So lots of Gretchen Rubin, lots of Dan Harris. Um, all about you know making yourself better. Um, I believe I recommended her book um, "Better Than Before" earlier this year. So, sticking with some trends there.
0: Very cool, Stacy. And we Thank we've you. talked about Dan Harris before, as as you mentioned. So,
2: yeah, I think so I rem- I recommended him last year during Tripod Month, which is yes. right now.
0: But you're you're not doing what you did last year. So, yeah. On we go.
2: <laughs> what you say? So
0: I said so. On we go. There you go. So my recommendation uh, is: a, I had to call an audible at the line of scrimmage, not because Stacy told me I couldn't recommend what I wanted to recommend, but because I wanted to change my recommendation. So I have a new recommendation that I'm going to share with you all, and it's actually something that I happened to re-listen to this week, and it's from the Art of Manliness podcast. Which, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I love that show, and so does AJ, and even Stacey gets her manly on sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so this was episode 479, titled Becoming a Digital Minimalist, which is always fun as the host of the House of Ed Tech to talk about, because as much as I love technology, sometimes you don't need it. So this is an episode I enjoyed the first time around, and I had starred it in Overcast, and I happened to come back around to it. Uh I think Thursday or Friday, I re listened to it on the way home and just another solid episode from the guys over at Art of Manliness. And it just talks all about how you can reduce some of the digital clutter in your life and you know enjoy things like family. And Matt, I wouldn't even say you need to listen to this one because I mean you've got the kids, you've got the van, and you know, it's not a problem.
3: (laughs) Yes, I am I'm I'm deep, deep in the bottom the bubble. Um, I am far from a minimalist though. That's that's for sure. I believe hoarder is the appropriate term. There
0: you go. AJ, what's been uh what's been in your ears lately?
3: Yeah,
1: so uh I am actually going to start a new audiobook. So I'm going to recommend this because I've heard amazing things about it for the uh the leadership people out there who is interested in leadership or you know, if you're just looking to become a better leader. Uh, I'm going to read the Author is John C. Maxwell, a very famous uh, guru in leadership. And uh, the book is The 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader. And I really think it, it, it really is a great book for, for anybody who's looking to kind of take on those roles. Not doesn't have to be administrative. you are saying if you want to step up your game as a leader and be you know, more outspoken, it's kind of the inside out approach to leadership. And he talks about a lot of what you can do to your for yourself and how you can be portrayed as a leader in different ways. So I'll be reading this one. It's going to be a quick listen, I guess, as I do my audio books. But uh, this is audio book number two I'm recommending on Podcast P.D. So I've shied away from the podcast a little bit because I've to a lot of the same ones. But I'm going to give this one a try for this audiobook again the 21 indispensable qualities Dad's of will give
2: it a
1: yeah. listen.
0: I feel like I just Thank you, Stacey. poked Stacy and then you turn around and you poked me. What? <laughs> well, I poked you for me changing my recommendation. I feel like you just poked me for listening to podcasts all the time.
2: We do.
1: Nah, I'm just you know, I I listen to a lot of podcasts, but it's a lot of the same stuff. I didn't want to recommend another art of manliness. I didn't. You know, I've been listening to the Aspire podcast and recommended that a while ago. Tim K V and and Teachers on Fire recommended that a long time ago. Danny Bauer, come on, where, 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 where do we want actually,
3: to go? I've actually got. A if good I want one, to like a stick, with, um, with. I, I oh. end up watching it more on like streaming it on like YouTube when I'm at school. Um, but it, when uh, Stacey was talking about ten percent happier, a lot of the work we're doing um, in schools is around is around design. Um, And there's a great podcast called 99% Invisible. Um, And it's all Hmm. around like concepts of design and theories of design. And the guy's voice is also like, he's like a hypnotist. It's crazy. Um, But uh, the work that they do is is really strong and has so many applications to to, when we're thinking about designing, whether it's lesson plans, curriculum, um, any sort of student experience, um, I highly recommend it.
2: Awesome! Very cool. I've heard about that one. I have not downloaded that yet. So,
3: there's a great um, thing they do with um, Vox that's on on YouTube, and it's they interview this guy Don Nelson who wrote like the classic book on design thinking called uh, "The Design of Everyday Things." So, if you Google um, Norman Doors, um, it'll give you this great five minute primer um, on what a Norman door is and how we can avoid making Norman Doors in our lives. And it's funny and it's it's really well done.
0: Well, if future Chris does his job, everything you just said will be in the show notes out at podcastpd.com slash 48. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get all of those links in there. All right, before we get out of here and we have just a few minutes left first, Matt, thanks again for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to be here and I want to give a, a special shout out to Stacy for uh, coming to the table. We were sitting at at ed camp <laughs> and notice, noticing that I was desperately trying to be talked to um, and when she noticed how, uh, how intently I was listening to her talk to two strangers to me, um, I don't think we'd be sitting here and I don't think me and John would be doing you know, some more ed camps in the spring this year. Um, without her coming up to us and having that conversation and and empowering us. So, you know, thank you so much.
2: No worries. I was just doing my job. I walk around with a notepad and a marker in my back pocket, and I talk to people I know, and I talk to people I don't know, and I invite everyone to put a session up on the board.
3: Yeah, it was awesome.
2: So I thank you for taking that leap, Um, especially it was your first ed camp. So that was pretty impressive because it took me three or four ed camps before I was willing to put my name up
3: on the board. Yeah, we had to drive pretty far, so... (laughs)
0: <laughs> we appreciate it. Now, where can people connect with you? Uh, websites where they can go out and get the oath. What do people need to know about?
3: Yeah. So uh, the, the website that we run is called the Academy of Professional Teachers. Um, it's Um We've got a bunch of things coming up in the new year. We're going to be designing more products. Um, we're going to be looking at some um, things for parents questions to be asking at um parent teacher conferences, things like that. There's a pretty robust blog on there um, with a lot of our our writings, a lot of the things that we've been thinking about. Um, and there's also um a link to the copy of my my book on um kind of it's a memoir slash discussion of uh twentieth uh, 21st century teaching practices and reclaiming our power as educators called uh an end to the quiet war. Um so yeah those are all places where you could find me um, through the Academy. Um, I have the most non um, teacher centered Twitter handle of all time, which is uh daily Darko, my, uh, my last name and my favorite movie. Um, so, you know, if you want to reach out to me there, I'd love to uh, engage with you. If you're there.
0: All right. Thank you again, Matt. And we will obviously make sure that everybody connects with you guys. Uh, we're happy to be connected with you and hopefully we have you back when uh, item number 11 comes out and you do more great things in the future. So before we go, we do have a little bit of feedback. First, we want to again, remind you that hashtag podcastPD 50 is coming soon. Our 50th episode is coming and we want you to be a part of the show. If you could only listen to one podcast for the rest of your life, what is that podcast? What is it about? Why is this your pick? Let us know who you are, what your role in education is and how people can connect with you. And share that all with us at podcastpd.com feedback. And we're looking forward to a spectacular 50th episode celebration. Also, we got a little bit of audio feedback this week. And this comes to us from a friend of the podcast. She's in our Voxer group. Tracy from Rhode Island shared this.
2: I found out yesterday that I want a scholarship. I had to apply to a scholarship through our EdCamp. Um we just had an EdCamp, Rhode Island on Saturday, which was awesome. And I applied for a scholarship to go to ISTE, and I won! Yay! So super excited that they picked me and incredibly honored. And I'm curious if anyone else is heading to Philadelphia in June, and I feel like we should totally meet up in person, and I think it would be really great um, to meet you guys and hang out, and just, I'm always excited to meet my boxer friends face-to-face. So if anyone's going to ISTE, let me know all right that's awesome congratulations tracy and um thanks for piping up in our boxer group if you want to be part of that just let chris aj or i know that you want to be part of that fabulous group and um we will let you in we'll get you in there all right so we are going to wrap this up gentlemen it was a pleasure speaking with you today and um we are going to say goodbye say goodbye christopher
0: goodbye christopher
2: Say
1: goodbye, AJ. Goodbye, AJ. Bye,
2: Podcast PD.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast PD. For links to all the resources mentioned in this and every episode, please visit our website at podcastpd.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at AJBianco. And I also blog at ajbianco.me.
0: You can connect with me on Twitter. I am Mr. Nessie. And I would love it if you also checked out the House of Ed Tech podcast over on chrisnessy.com.
2: You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at irontech, and I blog at irontech.me.
0: Connect with Podcast PD on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast PD. We would also love to have you as a member of our Facebook community. Go to podcastpd.com slash Facebook to join.
2: You can also help us reach more educators like you by telling someone else about the podcast. So share us with your colleagues. And if you do it on social media, please tag us.
1: Podcast PD is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network podcast for educators, podcasts by educators. For more podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.